Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. They hand you this tiny squirming mm-hmm. child and then they say, bother this. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> you came back from your vacation, Taylor, and you were telling us that your dad taught you how to do something. You're an adult. He's been your dad for a long time, but he's still teaching you how to do something. It seems like that is part of what being a dad ends up being. They teach you stuff. They just teach you like those big, like overarching life lessons of how to be a human mm-hmm. or those small little task things of like how to replace your kitchen faucet. And if you're thinking of your dad right now, you're probably thinking of that one thing that he taught you to do. Well, it was my stepdad. And I remember I was in my 20s. And he had emphysema really bad, but he wanted to be able to teach me how to change a tire. And it was the hardest thing he ever had to do because he had to sit in a lawn chair and tell me how to do it. He was the one that used to show me. Mm. And I was just like, oh, this is great. I really needed to know how to do this, you know, and I could just tell he was sitting there and he had like tears in his eyes and I, I hugged him and I told him how much I appreciated it but this was like at the end right before you know he died and mm-hmm. he still had to, had to teach me how to do mm-hmm. things and so he was on my mind today and then I was in the car here and I heard you talking about it and I thought I have to share that because dads are special even when they're stepdads mm-hmm. and he just really, he meant a lot to me. He was mm. in my life since I was five. Thinking of dad, he teaches us so many things. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of them he just teaches us just by being, you know. But there are times when your fathers take time to actually teach you a thing. And we want to know, what is it your dad taught you? Work ethics. Okay. Oh, that's an yeah. important one. He told me, well, if you're going to get a job as a teenager, if you're going to get a job, you're going to have to go find one. One's not going to come looking for you. Well, shortly after that, a fellow that mowed the cemetery literally came out to the house and knocked on the door. What? You like to work at the cemetery? (laughs) So it did come and find you. I told him he just rolled his eyes. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you mow at a cemetery? Oh, yeah. That's fascinating that you did that because I watched the mowers over at Glendale and they zip through that place and it looks fantastic. And I'm like, I would knock over every single tombstone. (laughs) Everyone. It's been so cool hearing all the lessons that people have learned from their dads. Yeah. Just thinking about the impact that that my dad's had on my life. Your dad's had an impact on me. He's the one that gave me that awful, awful fruit thing and made me eat it on the air. The Filipino chompoy. Thanks, Steve. That was was a wonderful time. We were just talking about that and how special (laughs) a moment that was in our family history. (laughs) And so I was thinking through, like, what if I'm going to talk about one thing that my dad taught me, like, what do I want to talk about? Do I want to talk about how he showed me how to love a woman in the way that he related to my mom? Do I want to talk about maybe the the work ethic that he taught his football players and how no job is too insignificant to do excellently? And then he texted me his thought on the lesson that he was the most proud of sharing. I was like, well, in honor of Father's Day, are you really? I I need to to read this because this is what my father has contributed to this discussion. The lesson that he wants to share that he taught me. I can't believe you're going to do this. (laughs) My mom was not pleased, but he still is very proud of the day he taught us how to make armpit noises. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Put put your hand in your armpit there and you cup it. it. I'm not going to do it. I'm wearing this shirt doesn't create a good enough seal for me to do it on the air anyway, but it makes a sound. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. 
Thanks, Dad. And all dads. When I learned that you could also do it on the backs of your knees and lay back and go like rapid fire, one knee after the other, that was when my parents got really upset. No, your mother got really upset at your father. Well, yeah, my mom got upset and my dad was like, good thinking, son. That's resourceful. Hey, Kathy, did you learn something from your dad? Yeah, he taught me how to change the tire on the car because he said I wasn't going to be like my mother. <laughs> Did he say that in front of your mother? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we lived on Ashworth Road, and he lived, He made me practice jacking up the car, taking it off, rolling it around the car, putting it back on, jacking the car down. I had to do that four or five times. And somebody stopped that knew him and said, she's doing a really good job. And I'm like, oh, Dad, you are embarrassing. (laughs) Have you ever had to change a tire since then? Uh, Yeah, and I couldn't get the jack under the the car because it was one of those that didn't go on the back bumper. It went under the front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I stood there and waited for a man. (laughs) I, I told my dad, I said... I am never, ever, ever changing a tire on this car. Happy Father's Day weekend. I went and got a card for my dad over at Hy-Vee. Okay. And I'm wondering if I should be nervous. What did you do? Okay, l- listen, first... Everything on the card was accurate and something that matches up with how my heart feels. But I got it from the to daddy from daughter section. Taylor. There, listen, there's Taylor. nothing on the card that says, like, I am your daughter. You, like, it still calls him dad. Doesn't say anything about, like, me not being his son. You remember the last time you did something oh, like this, and it was bad. I, well, okay, I bought Lindsay an anniversary card that was to my husband from your loving wife. But this is different. Okay, I read the card. It matches up. I checked for telltale signs oh. that it might be from a woman. So you're saying that the last time you didn't read the card before you gave it to your wife for oh, your well, okay, anniversary? Now, now you you're twisting my words, Jen. I, <laughs> I stop. You're done. I don't like <laughs> buying cards. Probably like you, I'm on a little bit of a personal journey right now to learn about what the Bible says about justice and injustice. Yeah. I uh, follow Johnny Erickson Tata on Facebook, and recently her podcast featured Pastor Kempton Turner. And uh, Kempton has, uh, it's called the City of Joy Fellowship in East St. Louis. And I sat and listened to the podcast, and wow, especially what he did with one of the most popular parables that Jesus told. Yeah, he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan and what that tells us about responding to injustice. Here is a man beaten. He is left for dead, and the priest and the Levite, they go right past him because they're busy. Mm. They got things to do in the temple. They got things to do for God. And it's interesting the story is called a Good Samaritan because Jesus uses the just response of an unbelieving minority Mm -hmm. to convict the religious community to show us, I think, a few things uh, tangibly. Real love takes action, but then real love touches hurting people. Mm -hmm. It gets close to them. This Good Samaritan knelt down wiped this person's wounds, didn't ask what race they were, didn't ask how they got there. They just moved and touched the person and closed the gap. He was inconvenienced and he cared for his physical and economic well-being. 
First, yes, we have to share the gospel. Yes, we have to speak the truth. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, you see no verbal exchanges of preaching the kingdom. All you see is action, touching, embracing, inconveniencing yourself uh, to advance the physical and economic well-being of hurting people who do not look like you. And so I think the Lord is showing us that these kind of practical acts of mercy, say, towards an African-American in your community mm-hmm. or Hispanic person in your community, uh, that's the platform that we can communicate the love of God from. And so I just pray that we would do some things like that in these days. If we're going to look at issues of injustice and racial um, inequality from a Christian perspective, Mm -hmm. we actually have an example of how to respond to this. I think of Jesus, you know, let's go back to Jesus. Like Jesus, step away from your advantages. That's the gospel. Jesus did not count equality, the divine prerogative and advantages with God, a thing to be grasped. And he stepped into our skin. And by the way, born in a messy, dirty place with animals and raised in the hood. Do your research. That's why Nathaniel told Jesus, bro. Well, he didn't say bro, but (laughs) but he's like nothing good come from the hood. You know that, Jesus. That's what he said. And Jesus, he has eternally attached his name to the hood, to Nazareth, so much so that his name, to differentiate himself from the other Jesuses of his day, because there were many people named Jesus, he was Jesus from Nazareth. So you talk about leaving the flaming glories of heaven all the way down to a despised city, he embraced that. What does that look like for you? And I I would even invite you, volunteer in an inner city near you, Mm. not to be a savior, not to get everybody to move where you live, but just to listen to and feel the pain. Mm. And I finally say uh, another practical step, is to read some good books to stretch your heart and your head. Read some books from people who don't look like you and talk like you and vote like you. You may not agree with everything in the books. I mean, I don't even agree with everything in the books, but it just helps us to to leverage and lean in to the folks that we don't understand. Really cool idea of how individuals can respond to racial injustice in our own backyard. But he also had some thoughts about how the church as a whole can respond. Many people know that Dr. King said that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. It's Mm -hmm. the 11 o'clock hour. And the Lord kind of shut that down for a season. He's trying to get our attention. (laughs) Uh, But... I heard a brother, a friend of mine say, actually, he believes the most segregated hour is the six o'clock hour uh, when you leave church and have dinner. I think all of our churches, instead of trying to do something big and dynamic and a, a, a nationwide day of whatever, um, that's good. But if one Christian household at a time prayed about intentionally serving an under-resourced community in order to build relationships so that they might invite real people who don't look like them around the dinner table, you know, with your mask on, I guess, uh, 
But those are the type of grassroots. I'm going to take a responsibility for myself. As for me and my house, we're going to have a black family over. Mm-hmm. As for me and my house, we're going to have a Hispanic family over. As for me and my house, we're going to have even a, a white family that's poor over. I mean, we want this to happen from heart to heart, relationships in homes. I think that's what the Lord is trying to tell us as to him allowing our big stages and and our big church services around the country to shut down so that we can step out of our houses and begin to reach across not the pew but across the train tracks so that we can develop the kind of relationships that promote racial reconciliation so there will be a day when there's a little hohulin mm-hmm. and i have been praying since i knew taylor that that little hohulin will be a girl <laughs> The, you know what? The the math in my family, so many people keep having boys. It just feels like law of averages says we're going to have a girl. Because there's so many things that happen to dads when they become the dads of little girls. They end up doing things that they never thought they'd do. And I just can't wait to see Taylor do it because he has a hard enough time doing things like, you know, shopping for Lindsay. I know. So we want to know what's that thing the dad in your life did that he never thought he'd do once he had kids? You can't really say, hey, what was the one thing that you did? <laughs> It depended on what stage of life we were at as to what he was doing, all the way up to having teenage daughter and buying girl supplies, whether that's yep. girl supplies for the bathroom or deodorant that smells like pina colada. <laughs> you know, like you can't just say grab the, you know, air it extra dry because no girl wants to have that. That's true. <laughs> and it's even down to Carmex. Like you don't want Carmex. You want the pink ball that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So we have the solution to that for every dad. All we need to do is send a picture. Yeah. No matter what it is. Thank you. Whether it's a girl item, whether it's a brush, whether it's a lip gloss. Yeah. If you send a picture, he can find it. Yes. Isn't that what Lindsay does with you? Oh, yeah. I I go into the bathroom and I like I take pictures of here's the conditioner. Here's the shampoo. Here's the. It's like a spray for her hair or something. (laughs) Girls require so many bottles. For boys, they just put like one big bottle. It's like, here's shampoo, conditioner, soap, soap, body Body wash, and also it's caffeine infused so you don't even have to drink coffee this morning. (laughs) We get an all-in-one bottle because we're men and we're efficient. You never thought you'd ever do anything like it. Mm -mm. And then you became the dad of a girl. Oh, we've got the most adorable little video on our Facebook page right now of a Super Bowl award-winning quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, doing his daughter's hair. Cutest thing you've ever seen. (laughs) But the fact is, is that you become a dad of a girl and you end up doing a lot of stuff you never thought you'd do. So my dad has always been like a guy's guy, Mr. Jock. Mm -hmm. But when he had me, I'm his only child, only daughter. The man melted. (laughs) I have painted that man's toenails, fingernails, hot pink on more occasions than he probably cares to admit. (laughs) Um, He was like the ultimate dance dad, cheerleading dad. And like he wore that badge with honor and like he was just the best. And now I have the privilege of watching him be an awesome grandpa Mm. and like 
He's just amazing. I love my dad. I could go on for hours. Is he a boy grandpa, girl grandpa? He's a boy grandpa now. So oh. he can do like the jock thing now. There he goes. It's, it's so much fun. My friend Amy had to go on a business trip. Which doesn't sound like that big of a deal no. because my friend Amy has her husband, Joe, to ta- help take care of the three kiddos. Except for Joe looked at the family calendar when he realized Amy was going to be gone. And in horror, he turned to her and he said, but Maya has dance. And she's oh. like, yep, she does. And you're going to have to handle it. He has to handle dance. Hair. Dance hair. Oh, dance hair is a dance. thing. Oh, my goodness, it is. To, now, my friend Amy is a stylist. Yeah. So for her, it's like breathing. Joe is a dude. And dance hair is not in his Has repertoire. Has he ever had to do his daughter's no, hair? Not Not, not when you're married that, to a stylist. Not up until that point. Oh, not after man. again. And so... She said, don't worry, Maya will guide you. Oh. (laughs) So she did. And there are pictures on Facebook to commemorate the occasion that Joe the Dude did Maya's dance hair. And I got to say, he did well. Oh, good for him. (laughs) When we were staying at home more Mm -hmm. and things looked pretty bleak months ago, I got to the point where I really looked forward to being here with you and having you read us a psalm. Mm. It was almost like that comforting bedtime story, you know? (laughs) There are so many beautiful psalms, and I think it's because David just has this relentless focus on who God is. And when you look to God, everything just kind of feels like it's it falls into place or that it's going to. And when you're going through a tough time... It's important to turn to the Psalms, but I think it's really important even now that it's a sunshiny morning, Mm -hmm. the state's opening up, things are looking up. We still need to be turning to them. And this is a a praise Psalm. It's Psalm 103. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, praise his holy name. He's the one who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases. The Lord does what is fair and executes justice for all the oppressed. He does not always accuse and he does not stay angry. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. For as the skies are high above the earth, so his loyal love towers over his faithful followers. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows what we're made of. He realizes we are made of clay. A person's life is like grass, like a flower in the field. It flourishes, but when the hot wind blows, it disappears and no one can even spot the place where it once grew. But the Lord continually shows loyal love to his faithful followers and is faithful to their descendants. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom extends over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels of his. You powerful warriors who carry out his decrees and obey his orders. Praise the Lord, all you warriors of his, you servants of his who carry out his desires. Praise the Lord, all that he has made in all the regions of his kingdom. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This might be one of the most embarrassing stories I ever tell about myself, but sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for humor. Hey, that's... (laughs) Refuse to be embarrassed, Jen. I'm, I'm ready to laugh at your expense. I have been walking a lot mm-hmm. during the you know pandemic and the stay at home. It was something that yeah. we could do. We could go outside when the weather was night and we nice and we would walk. And I have enjoyed walking so much that even though the world is starting to open up a little bit more, life is starting to get a little bit filler. I have 
Fuller, I have tried to keep walking. Yeah, hold and on to that that good thing that you found in the quarantine. It was a good thing. I live near Glendale Cemetery. It's a beautiful hmm. cemetery, very well kept up, great place to walk. So my friend and I are out walking in the cool of the evening. We are talking and we are going down a little bit of a slope of hill. And I am sure I'm in one of the middle of one of my stories because I'm walking and talking and hands are going all of a sudden. All of a sudden, I just go, ow, 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 ow. What? Ow, just like Whoa. that. I mean, I'm just what? like, I'm like, ow, 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 ow. And she's like, are you man. okay? You know, like her hands are like, are you yeah. okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, ow, 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 ow. Okay, I'm good. What happened? I don't know. Like my sciatica all of a sudden started acting up and I got this pain in my back and lower down through my leg. And, and I was like, okay, just a sec. <gasps> okay, I'm good. So you just got a mystery cemetery injury. <laughs> Sometimes laughter is the best medicine, mm-hmm. and it's a good thing that we can laugh at some of our silly injuries. I was in college, and it was finals week, so I was in a big lecture hall taking my science final, and I had my legs crossed, and sometimes when I do that, my foot falls asleep, uh-huh. and so, of course, this day, my foot had fallen asleep, and it was past the point of the tingling sleep, like it was... It was dead. It was dead. Yeah. yeah. Numb. So I get done relatively soon with my final. There's still quite a few people in the lecture hall. Stand up, put on my backpack, grab my stuff. I take my first step and I completely fall down in the middle of this lecture hall while everyone's just in the final. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this just happened. I'm so embarrassed. And so I quickly scramble back up to to try to get out of there and I fall a second. (laughs) Oh, no. At this point, the professor down at the front gets up and comes up to the top where I'm trying to just crawl through the aisle and be as little as possible so no one can see me on the ground. And she comes up and she puts my arm around her shoulder and we're walking down the stairs of the lecture hall and she goes, it's just like walking down the aisle. No, it's not. This is awful. (laughs) How's your back now? My back is is fine. Is it it good? It was kind of a... A freak thing. It's never really happened like that before. All of a sudden, I mean, I'm just walking. Yep. I wasn't even walking hard. I don't even think I was swinging my arms. And then I pulled up lame. Something happened. I hurt my back. In the cemetery. In the cemetery, no less. And if you've had a random embarrassing injury, we want to know about it. I was exercising to a Leslie Santone tape in my living room. Mm-hmm. And I tripped myself, heard a crack, ended up in the emergency room with a boot cast for six weeks. Oh, my goodness. I wasn't in the cemetery, but I was in my living room. <laughs> there you are, just going about your life, mm-hmm. doing probably innocent, maybe even good things. And then all of a sudden, whammo, silly injury. I was out at my parents' grave cleaning it up and putting flowers on it. And I was trying to pull up the eternal candle that was in the ground. Okay. And it was coming up really hard. And so I went to yank on it. But what happened was it broke. I fell forward, hit the tombstone, and got knocked out. Oh, my God. We had to call the ambulance to the cemetery to pick me up to take me to the hospital. Okay, no, no. Oh, no, no. This story is so rich in so many ways. Oh, man. It was like no one could believe it. The rescue squad was like, what? And then when I got to the hospital and they were trying to tell them what happened, they were like, what? And I'm still saying, what? Okay, I'm I'm just picturing people 
driving by seeing an ambulance in a cemetery. <laughs> Run a little behind, buds. Yeah, no. really. So basically oh you came to laying on a... On the ground next to the tombstone. I thought I had been ascended into heaven already. <laughs> Dr. Heidi, there is so much to process right now in the aftermath of the George Floyd news and then the protests that have gone on. I personally am trying to sort all these thoughts out of my brain, and I can't even imagine having kids, whatever age, from grade school to teenagers, and having to talk them through everything that's going on. Do you have some advice on how to how to get those teens through this and get them on the right path? Sure. First of all, it is hard. It is hard and it's overwhelming, and I think it can be hard to know where to start. And I think, first of all, before we enter the conversation, recognizing that we don't need to solve it or fix it or have all the answers. When we talk about this with our kids, we just need to participate in this moment with them in a way that's consistent with the gospel. As we stop and remember that the gospel speaks to it, that can help guide us as we begin to even think about starting this conversation with our kids. Mm -hmm. Also, each kid is going to be different. And so depending on how old your kids are and what their maturity level is, it's going to shape how you approach it. Some of them are going to be watching the news with you and have a lot more questions. In our house, our son's in bed before the news comes on, so he's not seeing all of these things. So that conversation looks a little bit different for us since I have more control over what he's seeing and what he's hearing. It's that, like you just said, inviting them and listening and respecting and understanding. And that's what I'm seeing as I'm looking at the news and hearing people talk about what we can do, you know, as white people to face racism is just that posture of listening and understanding. And that's what we, we take with our teens too. And that's what we take with our kids and we encourage them. And I think another great question is how have you seen this in your world, what does this look like at your school? Oh, right. And we question. can challenge them to think about what does it look like to be a gospel presence in a school where there might be bullying or in a school where there's people of different ethnicities? Do you just stick with your ethnicity or do you remind yourself that, okay, everyone is made in the image of God and encourage your kids mm -hmm. to take that perspective of curiosity towards, hey, I wonder what this person is like. What makes them tick? And we encourage them to be uncomfortable and to make friends and then become comfortable, right? With, with people who have a whole wide range of life experiences that are different than ours. What about with little kids? At what age do we need to have these conversations? And I realize that they would look different according to the age. Right. But, you know, I'm hearing that children's cartoons are going to start dealing with these issues. I heard one children's cartoon was going to take almost a nine minute break mm. in memoriam of george floyd but that sure. is who i that's mean that's a heavy conversation that is to have a with your kid heavy conversation to have with a child that's watching cartoons it is and, and again i think that's where you have to pray for discernment for your family about what level of conversation you have with your kids um, i think the simplest conversation to say hey kids we live in a world that there's sin i mean you've probably talked about sin before, what that looks like, and just sharing some, okay, this is another way that sin shows up. And I think reading books and sharing experiences and watching things that are culturally diverse is a way of shaping their worldview to include diversity. And so you can have that conversation that's not just about all the bad parts of it that are about 
the good things that different cultures and different people groups can bring to the table. And then as we talk with them about that, then the flip side of that coin is the sin side, where some people don't recognize that people who are different than them are made in the image of God. And so that initial conversation just about diversity then sets the stage to talk about the deeper side of it, to talk about the harder issues as they grow older and as they have different experiences to get to the heart of the matter, which is really the racism piece. Wow. These are heavy things, Dr. Heidi. These are heavy things for parents right now. Um, If you could just be in front of a group of parents right now, what would your encouragement be to them? It's okay to be uncomfortable. And it's good for all of us to be uncomfortable and to remember, you don't have to have all the answers. And this is not a one-time conversation we have with our kids, or quite frankly, a one-time conversation we have with ourselves. Mm. This moment in history is is a challenge for us to change how we interact with each other and how we interact with the world around us. And our goal is to take steps, not to solve the issue tomorrow. Mm. And as we recognize that that looks like being uncomfortable, it looks like checking in with our kids over time. I feel um, like I can do that. Yeah. You know, yes. that, that that's not quite so daunting as having to go yes. home over dinner tonight and fix it. Yeah. Well, I mean, because <laughs> yes. I think about for myself, I go through all the times that I have avoided questioning something that somebody said because I thought it was hurtful or avoiding talking about an issue because I wasn't equipped to solve racism in the moment. And I think about all those moments strung together and what a difference it would have made if I just kind of stepped into that uncomfortable moment rather than letting it slide. The words that keep coming to my mind are listen and participate, Mm. right? Listen to people whose experiences are different than ours and then challenge myself to participate in the solution. I don't know what that looks like, quite frankly, every single day, but trying to be open and aware that when there's an opportunity, I want to listen and participate and bring the gospel and bring the Holy Spirit to healing these hurts that run so deep. Dad, it's a big job. Yeah. It's a big job. It's a hard job. And, you know... Sometimes, Dad, you give advice. And most of it is good. Let's let's say that. Oh, most absolutely. of it is good. Absolutely. I learned so much from my dad. But occasionally, you know, Dad gives advice and Mom comes along and goes, uh, 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 wait, no. And that's the advice we want to hear about. I was in like second grade and my sisters were in third and fourth. And we would walk to our grandmothers for piano lessons after elementary school. And we were complaining that these boys would chase us. And so my dad started telling us, well, you know, you want to try to talk it out. And we're like, Dad, they're chasing us. So my dad would say, girls, you just need to hit them with your lunch boxes and run. <laughs> and then my mom came home in the middle of the conversation and was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We never, <laughs> ever hit people. But now I'm 51. And if I have a conflict or something, my dad will wink at me and say, you know what you need to do? Just hit them with your lunch box. They hand you this tiny squirming mm-hmm. child and then they say father this <laughs> it's terrifying no. and so it's not we're not blaming no. dads for giving advice that doesn't always work out it's just funny to laugh at it because the fact is 99.999% of your advice is excellent advice there's just that you know 0.01% that mom has to correct and sometimes it's advice that mom has to correct and sometimes it's other things. My dad was always using me as a guinea pig to figure out how to pull teeth. Uh Oh! (laughs) So one time he took a a rope and tied it around the door handle and around my tooth. Oh, no. And tried to yank it out that way. Okay. It didn't work. It didn't. No. And then another time he took a flyer and he pulled my tooth out. 
and it never came back for like a long time. Oh. My new one. And so my mom <laughs> said, that is enough. From now on, the child learns how to take out her own teeth. Eat an apple or something, but no more experimentation yeah. on your child. My mom grew up on a farm, and so they had the method where you would tie dental floss to the tooth and tie the other end to the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> And then you just drive off down that dirt road. <laughs> With a tooth flopping along behind you? Yeah, you know. You could pull so much more than just a tooth well, that you, way. Well, you only wrap it around one tooth, and you just you just have to brace yourself. <laughs> like, get a good stance, Peter, good center of gravity. That's awful, that's awful. Your mother is now an infection disease preventalist. She's probably not telling people to do that well, anymore. Well, just don't put dirt in the wound. <laughs> like, close your mouth after. This has been health tips from Taylor and Jen. No, Follow no, us for more COVID-19 no. tips. This has not been. Do not listen to anything that we do and then do it yourself. This has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.